Proverbs, and we will be in chapter 14, beginning in verse 33. I was struck this week in reading Job 28. Uh, Job, when you get to chapter 28, Job has suffered huge losses. He's seen his uh, children die. He's seen the collapse of his building, of his business. And then all of the health problems that have just made him miserable. And then on top of that, he has three so-called friends who have, ver- who have verbally beat him down to a pulp and have worn him out. And in chapter 28, it is so refreshing, and I don't remember noticing that so much before. But he realized that if he was to face his suffering successfully, he needed wisdom from God and uh, not the wisdom from man. He's been getting that from his friends, but he knows he needs the wisdom from God. And I would just commend um, chapter 28 of of Job to you to to read in the next few days and notice uh, what he says about Uh, God and wisdom and he explains that only God can make wisdom known to man and no university doesn't mention this but no university can uh, no uh, no human institution can it comes from God and his word and uh, Job concludes Job chapter 28 by saying we'll never have wisdom without fearing God. And remember, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that is a key part in the book of Proverbs. Well, we will study several of these individual Proverbs tonight. And in honor of God's word, let's stand and follow along as I read Proverbs 14.33 through chapter 15 verse 3. Proverbs 14.33. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. A servant who deals wisely has the king's favor. But his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. This is God's word. You may be seated. And as you've noticed, as we've read, probably, every one of these Proverbs is, is very different. It's not a, a flow of, a, of, an, of, a, of an outlined thought like you have in Romans and books like that. We've seen it's very different. And it has the, the heart of the book that began in chapter 10 has all these individual different proverbs that uh, he has for us, showing us some insights into godly living. And as I've mentioned before, the titles that we will have for the Psalms are adapted from a book by Bob Beasley called uh, 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 
I forget the name of the book at the moment, but uh, it's the wisdom of Proverbs. I shouldn't forget that. Okay, so let's look at the first one. And that is, let wisdom rest in your heart. And that's in chapter 14, verse 33. It begins with the word wisdom. And Proverbs has been telling us a lot about wisdom. And he has, in the introduction, uh, mentioned that it's a tra- wisdom is a treasure far more valuable than gold. And you get that idea in Job 28 as well. And God is full of wisdom and he imparts it to those who repent of sin and trust Christ, trust trust, uh, his righteousness. And also this wisdom is something that we grow in. It's not something that just automatically uh, is all poured into our mind and heart and we've got it. But it's it's something, it's, it's, it's like our sanctification. We grow. And we learn more, and we apply more, and we see more wisdom come as we live this life, seeking the Lord and his wisdom. And of course, wisdom, we've seen, has been, uh, has been defined as skill in living. Each one of these individual proverbs give a little, little glimpse into skill in living. But... His point in verse 33 is wisdom rests in the heart. Someone has said a long time ago that it flows from the head into the heart. And in the heart of the believer, it feels at home. And it becomes part of that person's very nature. That's what we mean by the heart. And uh, that's, by the way, is where wisdom rested in the life and the in the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember in Luke chapter 2 verse 52 there's a wonderful verse about Jesus uh, childhood and that he grew. He grew and it specifically mentions he grew in wisdom as well as he grew in stature and he grew in favor with God and man. And this growing in wisdom was a real key in him having the favor with God and man. And you see that throughout the book of Proverbs. If we apply these Proverbs, we're going to begin to see more of the favor of God, more of the favor of of man. So it's, it's a striking statement about wisdom. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding. That is, a believer uh, by the way, that was true of David. Uh, turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 13. I know the account of David's life is, is not in Acts. It's told in First and Second Samuel. But uh, when Peter was, was talking, he referred to, uh, to something about David in Acts 13, 22. Paul um, <clears throat> has been... Uh, um, questioned and is being criticized and he's having to defend himself and the gospel. And in the midst of that, of explaining what God has done, in Acts 13.22, it says, And when he had removed him, that's King Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified, that is, God testified, and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, 
a man after my heart. And that's a tremendous statement. Oh, that we would all be men and women after God's heart. But the next phrase, who will, who, who will do all my will. Not just some of my will, but he has a heart to do all my will. And he, he was a man where wisdom had gone from the head and was resting uh, in the heart. And consequently, he was a man of understanding. Then it goes on to say, but it, it, that is wisdom, makes itself known even in the midst of fools. Now, the idea that wisdom is found in the hearts of a fool goes, goes against the whole direction of the book of Proverbs. And I put in your notes some verses, we won't look them up, but 12, 16, and 23, 13, 16, 15, 2, 14, uh, that is chapter 15, verse 2, verse 14, verse 28, and chapter 29, verse 11. All of these ideas talk about, you know, the fool uh, does not have wisdom within him. And yet, this verse says it makes itself known even even in the midst of fools. Uh, So what's going on here? Is it contradicting all the rest of these verses? No. Uh, It's to be understood in connection with the word rest in the first line of the proverb. While wisdom makes itself known to even the fool early in his life, it finds no rest there. It doesn't settle down in, in, in the fool's heart. It's never able to settle down and feel at home. But this is not new to us in Proverbs. Proverbs, at the beginning in the introduction, had a lot to say about the fact that wisdom, that wisdom calls out to fools, tries to get their attention. And, and, and it's in that sense that uh, wisdom makes itself known even in the midst of fools. So let's review that and turn back to Rome, to uh, Proverbs chapter 1 and verses 20 to 33 in, in this introduction to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1 verse 20 starts with the word wisdom and here in these verses wisdom is per- personified as a virtuous woman, like a virtuous woman calling out. So wisdom cries aloud like a person does. And uh, here it's personified as a virtuous woman. In the New Testament, we learn that wisdom is in a person. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. But wisdom cries aloud in the street. That is, the voice of wisdom is crying out to every person that is born on this earth. And what is the voice? Well, some other uh, passages of scripture talk about that. Uh, For instance, in Psalm 19. Remember Psalm 19, that wonderful psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God. In Psalm Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, you have creation, God in creation, or wisdom in creation, calls to every person on the face of the earth. In the book of Romans, we learn that 
the uh, the unsaved turn off, turn their ears off to hear about God through creation, and uh, even come to the point of of saying this wasn't created by God, but it has been presented to them. Wisdom has called to them through creation. It doesn't end there. Psalm 19 then goes on in, in verses later in the, in the chapter, in verses 7 through 11, talking about Scripture. It's a wonderful passage talking about the Word and Scripture has spoken. So, this idea that wisdom has, has come into the life of even the fool but remember, it didn't it didn't uh, go into the heart and settle down there. But but initially, it, it was it came in there through creation and through the revelation of God and His Word. But the fool in his heart said, "There is no God," and and rejected that. But wisdom made its call, and uh, wisdom spoke and speaks loud enough for everyone to hear. Then he continues on in Proverbs one. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones? These are people, the, these are the fools, they, but the simple has the idea. They, they live as if there is no God and no eternity. And uh, that's that. And, 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 and so he says, how, how long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? They don't want to be disturbed from their pursuit of happiness, their pursuit of money, their pursuit of worldly things. So don't disturb me with that. They want to continue. They love being simple. How long will scoffers delight? When the simple reject God's wisdom, they eventually become scoffers. And uh, we certainly see that uh, today. And uh, so how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. If they would receive, if instead of rejecting, they would come uh, God's way, they, they would be filled, but they are filled with rejection instead. And um, uh, but if 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 they would turn at, at his reproof, he would pour out his spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, to you. I'll make I will make my words known to you because I have called you, called and you refuse to listen, and have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. That's God speaking. That is through wisdom. And, and the idea of laugh at your calamity, not, not that it's entertaining, but laughing at the ridiculousness. From God's perspective, the ridiculousness of man that he created rejecting him. And, and so I'll laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm. And your calamity comes like a whirlwind. That would be like a tornado. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call. Problem is now it's too late. And the, and 
they're calling because they want the benefits of wisdom, but they don't want the God of wisdom. So then they will call upon me, and uh, fools, again, aren't interested in him. They're interested in the benefits. They'll call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. There's that key phrase again. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. It was shown to them. It was presented to them, but they have rejected it. And uh, verse 30, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have their fill of their own devices. They're going to suffer the consequences of their sin. And like Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. They will suffer the consequences of their sin. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me, oh, this is a great promise for the one who comes with the, into the fear of the Lord. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, knowing the Lord is in control. That's, that's one of the great fruits of wisdom, is knowing that he is in control, knowing of God's care. And then without dread, or excuse me, and will be at ease without dread of disaster. In other words, freedom from worry. Um, think about Noah. After the preaching and the building of the ark and God said it's time to get into the ark and the water started and they rose up and the crowds outside were were crying and in desperation but it was too late but Noah was at ease in the ark in the midst of that terrible catastrophe um, just like we we are in our salvation at ease, even in the midst of the world when it is in turmoil. Well, turn back to Proverbs chapter chapter 14, and then we have our second, second uh, proverb tonight. Pray for a spiritual awakening in America. So you see, we have jumped to an entirely different subject in verse 34. In verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation. The righteousness of a nation and its people, and this is righteousness that doesn't come by works, but it comes through by faith and by through grace and by faith and trust in, in the Lord and repentance of our sin and trusting in Him. And a nation needs righteous leaders and righteous people. And uh these people then will have wisdom. The, the leaders will have wisdom and the, and the people will have wisdom and they're able to grow in wisdom. Now, God explained the connection of righteousness and wisdom to Israel and, and when they were about to enter into the promised land. Turn over to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And in Deuteronomy 4, in verses 5 to 8, he explains about this uh, connection of righteousness and wisdom. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. 
See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord? Our God is to us whenever we call upon him. And then verse 8, And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? And also you have something similar in chapter 28, verse 1. So God explained there's a connection between righteousness and wisdom uh, to to Israel and to us. Uh, It's no accident that Israel experienced prosperity and they experienced a victory in, in their battles um, when they followed the example of a godly king, when they followed a king like David, when they followed a king like Hezekiah. And the people were growing in righteousness and wisdom. So then, turning back here to Proverbs 13, verse 34, this righteousness exalts a nation. So this proverb is saying that ultimately a nation's exaltation depends upon its righteousness, not on its political power, not on its military might, not on its economic greatness, but on trusting God and following in righteousness. Russia needs to know that today. China needs to know that today. And the United States needs to know that today. I think an example of this is Nineveh, as Pastor Steve has been teaching us on Sunday mornings from the book of Jonah. Remember, Nineveh's king repented. And all the people of Nineveh repented. So it was king and people seeking righteousness and coming to God in repentance and faith. And they turned from their wicked ways and God blessed. God exalted. God didn't destroy them. And you have that uh, in, in that short book of Jonah. The contrast an unrighteous nation. Now, Nineveh was a very unrighteous nation, but they repented and they turned to the Lord. But think about an unrighteous nation. Among other things, it breaks treaties. Um, It propagandizes and lies and it bullies weaker nations. And then among its own people, it doesn't hold a high regard for human life, and among its own people, and it allows its judicial system to break down so that criminals are rewarded and good citizens are intimidated. I shudder because I see those trends in our country. It doesn't fit with a country that's righteous. It fits with a country that's ungodly. But he goes on. 
And he says, righteousness exalts a nation. And that's certainly an important part of the verse, but that's not all that it's referring to. Because the Hebrew word that's translated nation there is a word that can refer to any group of people. It's not dependent upon ethnicity or geographical boundaries, um, but a group of people that gather for, for taking care of things, a homeowners association, a city government, um, uh, you, can, you can think of just a, a Kiwanis club, all, all kinds of things like that, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you name it. The principle applies to them, that uh, righteousness exalts that kind of organization as well. And it will exalt any group uh, while sin is a disgrace to them and they want to grow in righteousness. But then he gives the other side of of this uh, teaching in verse 34. But sin is a reproach to any people. The word Hebrew word is translated reproach is also used in Leviticus 20, verse 17, where it refers to a very shameful act. And so he, he uses that word here for the sin of an unrighteous nation. Sin is a shameful act. Nothing to be thought, thought highly of. And it's a shameful act of reproach to any people. Not just Israel. And it's interesting in, in reading the prophets in the Old Testament, they preach that nations which practice injustice and righteousness would fall victim to the justice of the righteous God. Whether it's Israel or Assyria or Egypt or Babylon, you name the nation. It says it is, it is shameful to any It's a reproach to any people. It could be that this verse, Proverbs 14.33, was in the mind of a Frenchman who came to America in the early 1800s. You may have read about him in American history, Alexis de Tocqueville. And he wrote a book that is still talked about once in a while today. About he, he took several years and he just traveled all around America to find out about America. And he made a statement, and could it be that he had this verse in mind when he made that statement? The statement was, when America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Alexis de Tocqueville in the early 1800s. So this verse, to me, is a reminder to us to pray for a spiritual awakening in America. That's what I I often pray for. And on my daily prayer list is always praying for the President of the United States. And I pray that the President would have a spiritual awakening. I pray that the president would come to recognize his sinfulness and repent before God. 
and that the nation, across the nation, that there would be people, men and women, boys and girls, coming under the, the conviction of their sin and repenting and trusting Christ and praying because this verse is true and pray for America. Well, then we have our third <clears throat> parable and that is let wisdom be seen in how you do your job. And that's in verse 35. <clears throat> A servant who deals wisely has the king's favor. The idea of wisely there, the Hebrew word translated wisely, is often translated in the Old Testament by the word prudent. And that describes a person who works through the many complexities of, of life and their job and the situation they are in, and then arrives at the wisest conclusion. They see all those complexities and, and difficulties and problems, and then they come up with the wisest course of action. Stop and think about it. That, here it's in the picture of, because it talks about the king's favor, we think of the king and his servants and so on. But really, this applies to all employees, as well as those who work for the president. It applies to you if you work for a company, work for a boss, and so on. Employees are hired to solve problems not to cause problems. And so uh, he's, he's saying here, uh, uh, this wise servant uh, deals wisely. He's working on solving problems, not creating problems. When they wind up creating problems, they usually get fired. Now, I thought of something. Some of you may think it's kind of corny. Um, but um, I'm, I'm going to give it. Uh, have you ever heard of Amelia Bedelia? <laughs> oh, I hear some chuckles. <laughs> okay. My grandkids love the books about Bedelia. Uh, uh, Bedelia. Bedelia. Oh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and I, I love reading those books. You know, not all. Not all. Children's books are fun for the reader to read. But those books, Amelia Bedelia, are fun to read. This girl, you know, I don't know how many jobs in the books she has. And she gets fired from every one of them. Because instead of solving problems, she makes problems. She's working as, as, a, uh, as a, a maid in a, that kind of job. And, and the, uh, the, the woman of the house tells her to dust the furniture dust the furniture so she goes around and puts dust all over the furniture she's dusting the furniture and of course the owner of the house is upset and fires her for that that just goes on and on and on and on it's crazy but what an example of the fact that as, as an employee we are to help solve problems not make problems and so he is saying here that this servant who deals wisely, solves problems, has the king's favor. An illustration of that in scripture is not a king, but it's a, 
it's a master, he's called, is uh, the parable that Jesus told in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 and 30, the parable of the talents. And remember, there are some, some faithful servants and, and one unfaithful servant in that parable. The master has these servants and he has a lot of possessions and the servants are put in charge of them. And, uh, but in the parable, it's pictured that um, he's going to go away and he entrusts them with talents. Now, the talent there is not our word talent of meaning, oh, an ability to play the piano or to sing or something like that. Talents in those days, that was a, a, a piece of money. And so uh, he gives one of his servants five talents, five pieces of this money, and tells him, I want you to take care of that while I'm gone. And when I come back, I want to find out how you use that, uh, and to use it in the sense of letting it make some profit. And then he came to another one, and he gave him two talents, and said, I'm leaving them with you. It's up to you. You use them in some way that is productive. And then he comes to another servant and he gives him one. And he says, just take this one talent and be productive with it and give a report when I come back. So he comes back and the man with the five talents says, um, you know, I, I did such and such with them and I got five talents I mean, I've got the original five, and then I got five more. And then the one with two, I have the original two, and I did well with those and got two more. And then he goes to the one with the one talent, and he says, you know, I, I know you're a real taskmaster and kind of hard to please, and uh, so I just kind of scared to do something with it lest I would lose it, so I just buried it. I don't have any fruit from it. And you know what the master says? Uh, He says to the one with the five and the two, well done, good and faithful servant. But to the one who just hid the talent, he says, you wicked and slothful servant. And that parable is to remind us that as a believer, that uh, the Lord has entrusted us with spiritual gifts. He's entrusted us with funds. He's entrusted us with abilities, all kinds of things. And we're to be faithful in serving him with them. And listen to John 12, verse 26. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What a privilege that our Father will honor us. Not that we're doing it for the honor. The honor we get, we give back to God. But he says, don't be the one that just hides what I've given you. Be the one that is faithful and using and serving me with what I have given you. So I think this parable kind of has two levels. It has the level of dealing with our earthly employer, 
but it's also a reminder for us as a believer with our Heavenly Father. We have a responsibility. The servant deals wisely, brings the the king's favor. We are to deal wisely with what God has entrusted us to bring fruit uh, to, to him. And by the way, this is a reminder that if you're in a leadership position, that uh, leaders are to reward those who are doing good and to, uh, to compliment and commend and so on. There's that side of it too. But then look at the next line in the parable. <clears throat> in verse 35, the next line, but his wrath, so you have the king's favor, but on the other hand, his wrath, and this, there are several different Hebrew words for wrath, and this particular Hebrew word speaks of an outburst of anger. There is uh, an outburst of anger from a position in authority. And so he says, but his wrath, that's God's wrath, falls on the one who acts shameless, sh- shamefully. Uh, this is the person who messes up the king's business, the person who messes up his boss's business. He brings disgrace upon his superior. So take this proverb and apply it to our hearts to let wisdom be seen in how you do your job. And let wisdom be seen in how you use your spiritual gift. What are you doing in service to the Lord and grow in wisdom as you're doing that by spending time with the Lord in his word and in prayer. Then we have our fourth proverb and that's in chapter 15 verse 1. Seek a gentle tongue. You know one of the great benefits of wisdom may be and will be to avert needless quarreling and to live in harmony with others. You know, many conflicts aren't caused by difference of opinion. We think of that all the time. Oh, yeah, there's conflict because we have difference of opinion. But there's many conflicts that are not really caused by that. Rather, they are caused by the spirit of the person, the spirit that this person brings to the conflict. It happens over and over again. A contentious, an angry spirit versus a conciliatory spirit. Well, let's look at how this works. Look at verse 1 here. A soft answer turns away wrath. Soft is speaking of an answer that's gentle, that's tender, that's gracious, that's kind, that's loving. And it turns away wrath. So the picture here is someone comes to you with some wrathful words, with a spirit of wrath. The natural reaction, the flesh, wants to rear up and return in kind. And this proverb is saying the wise person doesn't do that. Uh, this word for wrath is the Hebrew word for anger that is anger at its hottest, uh, at its peak. And a gentle anger, a gentle answer can quench even red hot anger. That's what this proverb is promising. 
let's let's go to the book of Judges to see an example of this. Book of Judges, chapter eight, in the life of Gideon. Uh, ex, or, num, uh, Judges, chapter eight. Judges chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. This is after Gideon has led the 300. Remember, had this huge army and God narrowed it down to 300. And then they had this victory simply with, with carrying a, 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 a pitcher that had in it a torch. And then they had a sword. And all of a sudden, all together, uh, they they broke the pictures. There was that sound, and then there was the light, and then God did a, a miraculous deliverance of the Midianites through a crazy to us a crazy, unusual way of doing a battle. But it was God's way in this case. So that has just happened in chapter eight, verse one. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, "What is this that you have done to us?" not to call us when you went to fight against Midian. And notice this, and they accused him fiercely. This wasn't just softly, oh, why didn't you call on us? I mean, they're angry. Why didn't you call on us? This, this was such a mighty moment in Israel's history. You didn't call on us. We're mad at you. Verse 2, and he said to him, And this is Gideon saying to them, What have I done now in comparison with you is not the gleaning of grapes of Ephraim. And these are people of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer. He's giving them an an analogy. Won't take time to go into that. But verse 3, see what he had done. He told them to go over to the Jordan River and to block any Midianites who would try to escape and get across the river. They wished that they had been in the glory of the battle. And they weren't. They're just in this kind of side show over here. But he says, God has given it into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. So you have the contrast in verse 1. They accused him fiercely. He comes back with a soft answer. And their anger subsided. That's what Proverbs is talking about. So back to Proverbs uh, chapter 15 uh, verse 1. So when we read this, a soft answer turns away wrath. Think about so many times when this comes up, it, so it comes up easily in marriage. We don't want it to, but it does. And our spouse uh, says something a little harsh. And if you respond with equal harshness, it's going to escalate. It's going to start a fire. Or we have uh, younger ones here tonight. And you have brothers and sisters. Isn't that great to have brothers and sisters? They never irritate you, right? Well, sometimes they do. And sometimes a brother or sister 
says something in a mean voice. And your reaction is to be meaner to them. And it just goes from there. But this proverb says, don't come back with the mean answer. Come back with a soft answer. Then he gives the other side of that that we've touched on a little here. But a harsh word stirs up anger. A harsh word are words that are designed to hurt. Words that are designed to wound. And they really do hurt. There are, there are words that really do hurt when you hear them. I remember when I was a kid and there would be, uh, uh, I'd come home and mention about someone uh, and mean on the playground and, and so on. And I remember my mother would say, well, just remember and say, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words can never hurt me. Well, our mothers may have said that, but it really isn't true, I hate to say, because words do hurt. They really do. And so you're just throwing gas on a fire to respond, whether it's in marriage or with brothers or sisters or someone at work or a neighbor or wherever, to respond with anger. So it's a soft answer. But here, he gives the other side. But a harsh word stirs up anger. We've seen that a gentle word can quench red-hot anger. But the opposite is true, too. A harsh word can, fine, can fan a fire into a raging inferno. And that happens all the time. We see it in the news. It makes the news many times. But most of the time it doesn't. It's just something simple in a family, in a business, in a school, you name it. Um, but it's a terrible, terrible thing. The person of wisdom is going to respond with a soft answer. Well, I think we'll leave it there tonight. <clears throat> next, next time, we'll continue with another proverb that is so similar in that it deals with the tongue and uh, uh, seek a tongue of wisdom. But where have we been tonight? Well, think about these, these proverbs and how to apply them. Well, that first proverb in chapter 14, verse 33, is wisdom resting in your heart? Spend time in God's word and in prayer and apply God's word and let his wisdom Rest in your heart. The second proverb in verse 34, are you growing in righteousness? And there is a correlation of righteousness with wisdom and pray for a spiritual awakening in America. And then in verse 35, is wisdom seen in how you do your job? If someone followed you around in your job, would they say, wow, this, is, this person is showing some wisdom. And how about our Heavenly Father and seeing us in our ministry for Him? That's something to pray about. That at work, we would be doing things wisely. And then in verse 1, 
Are your words gentle or harsh? That's something we all have to battle with. Because as a believer, we have the Holy Spirit within us. But until we go to be with the Lord, we're still in this flesh. And the flesh rears its ugly head. But the Bible says, don't walk in the flesh, walk in the spirit and in the power of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and so on. So, so many things to work on just in these these Proverbs. Well, let's close with prayer. Father, I thank you for all of these Proverbs in this book. Father, we pray that we would continue to grow in wisdom. And Father, I pray for anyone who is watching or listening who doesn't know you. They are not a righteous person. They are still in their sin. Lord, we pray that even seeing these Proverbs, your spirit would convict them and bring them to to repentance of their sin and trust in Christ and enjoy that walk with the Lord and the wisdom that comes with it. Bless these Proverbs to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.